As we all continue to work through the pandemic, time for another update on COVID-19 as we talk about COVID case counts, the different vaccines, and what to expect from these variants and more with Dr. Nick Highsmith, Medical Director of Infection Prevention at Labonner Children's Hospital. This is the Peds Pod by Labonner Children's Hospital. I'm Bill Klaproth. Dr. Highsmith, thank you so much for your time. It is always great to have you on with us. So let's get an update from you right away. What are you seeing in COVID cases currently at Labonner Children's Hospital? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that what we're seeing is we've had a steady decrease over the last several weeks. We know that from the beginning of this, children haven't been as affected as much as the adults in our area. And I think that We've seen the adult cases go up several weeks ago after the Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays. And luckily, we've been seeing the adult cases go down over the last several weeks. And that has translated into us also seeing the pediatric cases going down as well. So where we started out with several kids per week was sort of a peak of about 10. We are now down to the single digits. And some days we haven't even had patients in the house. Well, that is good news. And we'll take good news anywhere we can get it. So let me ask you this. Is there a kid's age group that is getting harder hit than others? I think what we're seeing is is this age right before adulthood. So we're seeing sort of 15, 16, 17-year-olds come in looking a little bit more like the adult presentation. We feel like the younger kids have been relatively spared. Okay, well, that is good. So first off, can you explain to us what is Miss C? And then what are you seeing in regards to Miss C? And what does recovery look like? So I think with the pediatric cases, that is the majority of what we're actually seeing at Labonner. And I'll put that caveat in that while we've seen this sort of peak after the adult peak in children, that peak is actually these MISC cases, this Miss C. And what it is, is multi-system inflammatory syndrome. So essentially, your entire body is inflamed. There are other conditions that are sort of similar to this. We've seen Kawasaki disease for some time, and many across the country and the world are familiar with it. When we first started seeing these Missy kids, we were shocked at how initially similar we thought it was to Kawasaki, but now we're seeing some pretty distinct differences in that. I think that we have seen probably more than 20 or 30 kids Matt LeBonner with Miss C, and all of them have done relatively well. They've all done very well, actually. They'll come in, they'll usually be in our hospital from a week to two weeks, and then be discharged home after we've got that inflammation sort of under control. So is there a confusion between a young child patient with COVID and one with Miss C? Is that where the confusion or the more difficulty in diagnosing comes in? So you have the primary infection. So a kid who may or may not have symptoms at all from COVID, we know that they're asymptomatic infection in adults as well. So what will happen is a kid will be infected with COVID. Usually in kids, it's just a mild cough, cold type symptoms, fever, that sort of thing. And it goes away or sometimes the kids don't have any symptoms at all. That usually doesn't land the kid in the hospital. We've had very, very few kids who have been in the hospital due to primary COVID infection. So adults coming in with horrible lung disease, they're coughing, they can't breathe, they're short of breath. And, you know, that leads to the ventilators and that sort of thing that we've seen across the country. Kids have been very uh, unlikely. So it's been very rare for kids to come in with that sort of a symptom. What we've seen at Labonner is they'll present about 
two to three to four weeks later with this multi-system inflammatory post-infectious process called MIS-C. Okay, so COVID first, then you think the child is okay, and then you're starting to see some kids come in with MIS-C after they've had COVID. Is that correct? Right, yeah, and it's usually, what we've been seeing is fever predominantly, so five or six days of fever, come in, get some labs, you'll see that there are several lab abnormalities that suggest that the kid has a widespread inflammation, and at that point, we work to get that inflammation down. Right, and a question I'm sure you get all the time, when do you think we'll see a vaccine for kids under 16? I get that question often. I think that we are starting to see some studies to discuss enrolling kids. So at Le Bonheur, we're going to hopefully be part of a study that's going to enroll kids this summer. So I think that probably looking towards the end of the year would be probably a optimistic view of when we'll see some vaccines rolling out to kids that are not part of a study. And then will the trials for kids be the same vaccine as what adults are receiving, or do you think that's going to be different? No, I think it will be the same vaccine that the adults are receiving. Okay, so that's good. So the same right now, the two main vaccines that we have, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, you think those will be the main two? And then, of course, Johnson & Johnson, we hope soon will be approved as well. Yes. Okay, got it. So then tell us about the vaccine in adults. Do you feel this is working so far? Yeah, I do. I feel like it's working very well. So obviously, in the first round, we had all of the healthcare workers and those individuals who've been frontline high risk to acquire COVID. That was the first phase of the vaccine rollout. In Memphis, we were able to do a very good job of vaccinating our healthcare workers. And what we've seen is over the past several weeks, we've seen the number of healthcare workers that are out due to COVID going down in a statistically significant way. So about four to six percent drop, which can only be explained by some sort of intervention. So I feel like the vaccine is doing a good job in that population. I'm really eager to see as we roll it out to the second group, the greater than 75, greater than 70, that age group that will hopefully start to see the numbers decrease in that age group as well. But I fully expect we will. Yeah, more good news. And we'll take it where we can get it. So that's uh, good to hear. I'm happy to hear you say that. So as I mentioned right now, we have the Moderna vaccine. We also have the Pfizer vaccine. Johnson & Johnson is on the way at the time of the taping of this episode. Can you quickly discuss the differences in the vaccines? Sure. So the two we're most familiar with, the Pfizer and the Moderna, are both mRNA vaccines. So that means that a little piece of genetic material called mRNA has been put into sort of a little fat bubble, I like to say, and that vaccine is then injected into the arm. And then once that happens, the cells in the arm sort of take up the little piece of mRNA and they make this tiny little protein, which gets presented by the immune cells on the surface of the cell there. And then we make antibodies to it. So uh, it's a very simplistic way to make a vaccine, but it's a very effective way, as we've seen with greater than 90% effectiveness of these two vaccines. Moderna and Pfizer, like I said, both the same, both have great efficacy. The big difference between them is the Moderna is wait four weeks in between your first and second dose, whereas with the Pfizer, you wait three weeks in between your first and second dose. Also, the other big difference between the two vaccines is the Pfizer requires different storage. So you have to store it at ultra low temperatures, which requires a special freezer. 
that many hospitals and then large urban centers have, whereas the Moderna vaccine really just requires the same temp that you would have in your freezer at home. So what we've been seeing is that a lot of the Pfizer are going to urban areas and hospitals and, and health departments and places like that, whereas the Moderna has been distributed more to the rural areas and to the rural health departments and, and some of those places that don't have access to that. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is using what we call a viral vector. So they use another virus, such as an adenovirus, that they put a little piece of genetic material in, and then that virus can go into the arm and then replicate a little bit and cause the, the immune response there. So those are the big differences. The big thing with the Johnson & Johnson is that it was one dose, whereas the, the Moderna and the Pfizer were two doses. That's the big difference there between the three. All right. So that's good to know. So these vaccines, in other words, activate our own immune systems to fight off the virus. Right. That is correct. Got it. Okay. So then just as we're turning the corner and we kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, now we have variants we have to worry about. Can you talk about the different variants that are popping up? Are these more dangerous than the original for kids? And then how does this factor into the covid miss c situation we were just talking about? Yeah, so we're currently seeing three variants that are the most worrisome at the current time. We've got the UK variant, the South African variant, and the Brazilian variant. At this point, we don't seem to think that they are more virulent and that we don't think that they cause more severe disease. There was a question about that last week and week before last because the UK had said there was a possibility that the UK variant might be a little more virulent, but we're still sort of seeing how that data plays out and what it looks like over a few more weeks to see if that's actually true. What we do know is that they are more transmissible, so you're more likely to spread it to someone else, and it seems that it's about 50% more transmissible. So that's a little bit concerning in that here we are coming over the peak and we're going down and everyone's happy and we're getting vaccinated. And then we have these variants that come through that may be more easily transmitted from one person to another. So that's something we're definitely going to have to keep our eyes on. I think that the big question everyone has is, do these, do our current vaccines protect against these variants? And right now we know that the vaccines are protective against the UK variant and they are somewhat effective against the Brazilian and the South African strain. We know that they are about 50% or so effective for the Brazilian and the South African stain, so not quite as effective as for the original strain, but still effective. What we hope is that we can get large amounts of people vaccinated, sort of keep these variants at bay while we develop herd immunity. But I think you raise a really good question in that how is this going to be any different for children? And I think the answer is we're not exactly sure yet. I think that children represent a group of large group of the population that have not been vaccinated. And it's a little unclear about how much natural infection that they've had as a group. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch as these variants come in. And we fully expect the UK variant to be the main variant March in the United States. So I think that seeing how that affects children, is going to be really paramount, especially as we're trying to see how we're going to open back up schools and things like that. How that will affect Missy, I'm not sure. I can't really speak too much for that. I think that that's just something we're going to have to see as we move forward. Right. 
So last question then, Dr. Highsmith, and thank you for your time. You are the medical director of infection prevention at Le Bonheur Children's Hospital. So if you could look into your crystal ball for us with these vaccines and these variants, and they're going to arise, and I'm sure we'll see more of these variants from what I've heard. That's how these viruses go. There's always going to be a variant. With these vaccines, we'll be able then to adjust for different strains or different variants of the vaccine. And then down the road, may this look like we all get a flu shot now every year. We may get a COVID shot. And okay, this COVID shot now is going to specifically designed to take on these different variants. Do you think as we kind of get through this in the years to come, that's what we'll be seeing with the vaccines? Yeah, so I think that there's a couple of points. So coronavirus is very slow to mutate. We actually have that in our favor. It has a proofreading mechanism, so it doesn't often mutate. But we have so much virus right now, you know, in the world, so much coronavirus in the world right now that that's giving it a huge pool to mutate in. So I think that if we get as many people vaccinated with the current vaccine, And then, like I said earlier, the vaccine is very easily modifiable. So you can very easily change that genetic sequence in the Pfizer and the Moderna mRNA. So they're already working on that to kind of combat some of these variants. So I think that if we can sort of mass vaccinate and then catch a few of these variants as they crop up, I'm hopeful that we can get the amount of virus down to a point where these variants aren't popping up, that we essentially have limited their ability to mutate. And I'm hopeful that if we're able to do that in the next few years, that we will not have to get to that point where we're having a COVID vaccine every year. But I think it's all based on how well we're able to vaccinate the population and how quickly we can tackle these variants while they're cropping up until we're able to get everyone vaccinated. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So more good news from you. You are just giving us good news all day today. I'm very optimistic today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. We're happy to hear that. So basically, it sounds like what you're saying is since a coronavirus, if you will, is slow to mutate, once we get this tamped down and say we get the positivity rate really low across the whole country, we'll really be able to manage this a lot better. And we may not even need that yearly shot once we get this thing really under control in a couple of years. That's kind of sounds like what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying and hoping. Well, we will hope for that. And in the meantime, when your time comes for you to get the shot, please get the shot. Don't put it off. Get it and keep masking, keep washing your hands, social distancing until we can reach that herd immunity that you were just talking about. Well, Dr. Highsmith, this has been great. Thank you for joining us again to give us this update. And we hope to have you on again for another update as we uh, travel down the road of this pandemic and we start to really get those shots into people's arms. So thank you again for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's Dr. Nick Highsmith, and for more information, you can visit the Labonner COVID Resource Guide online at labonner.org slash coronavirus. And be sure to subscribe to the PedsPod and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also check out labonner.org slash podcast to view our full podcast library, chock full of important health information for you. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels. This is is the Peds Pod by Labonner Children's Hospital. Thanks for listening.